UX Podcast Episode 294. I'm James. I'm Pat. And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, people and society every other Friday since 2011. And with listeners literally all over the world, from Chile to Mongolia. And today we get to geek out in one of our link shows where we each bring a an article of some sort to the table and uh, we talk about it for about 15 minutes or so and pick apart some common topics. This is one of the shows where we tend to get really concrete (laughs) with uh, our opinions uh, about uh, real hands-on UX design, whereas often often in interviews we are more strategic and talk about broader issues. Uh, But even with these ones sometimes, Pa, we we, we get... Well, I think that's one of the fun things for me with Link Show is Mm. that we, we go high and low, that there's some articles where we really nerd out and some articles where we kind of reflect and that's very true um you know look at things from different angles but mostly you uh, and I, you today. and i get to geek out <laughs> oh yeah mostly me and you get to just play around with articles we found um and I, but today i think we've got a, a one of those mixes yeah. where we do geek out on details and then also where we we now nah, we geek out on details there as well i guess yeah but it's also yeah oh we'll, we'll get to it so the, the, art, oh, the we'll articles are it. the articles are uh, the first one out we're going to do is uh, designing the perfect button and it's by Domas Markevicius. Uh, it's very hard to pronounce that name for me but um, I hope I got it's it Latvian right. so you know, using some of our Swedish skills yeah. to try and pronounce Latvian correctly but no it's not uh, a, so Domas core skill yeah he works at uh, Wix uh, which is one of those uh, create your own website uh, services he's a team leader for a team of designers over there so this is an interesting one in the design system group yeah mm. and the next one James is Next one is, can a website sitemap create better UX? Um, and this is an article that appeared on Loop 11 um, earlier this year um, and is by Kelly Bruland. Yeah. I think it's maybe how you say that. A digital marketing manager for um, SE Banking. When it comes to designing the perfect button, which is a great, of course, uh, article name, uh, it makes me wonder, of course, what is there? Is it even possible to design a perfect button? Um, <laughs> but there's a subtitle. Surely, Per, you've designed at least plenty of perfect uh, buttons over your time. I have designed a perfect button, but then, of course, I've designed a more perfect button six months later to replace it. <laughs> and I constantly keep yeah. doing that as I yeah. get older. <laughs> Uh, I, I really liked also how this article is structured. It's very easy to read. It's very easy to get to the content and get something from it. Uh, although, of course, I have some objections to to some of the uh, the uh, things that he's outlined, which is which is fun, uh, because we can always always geek out some more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he starts with helping us understand why our buttons so important, because of course, a lot of companies actually mes- measure their success by button clicks. And that's a f- whole other show we can do about why, how you measure. Uh, but really, it's important, of course, because this is how people do get to do something. People come with an intent in mind and try to accomplish something. Then you often need to c- click buttons or otherwise links to get to the information or the content or the features they want. 
And he starts also off with quoting the the Google principles for a for a good button, which yeah, and I think this comes from this comes from Google's material design. Ah, yes. Identifiable, findable, and clear. Uh, which, of course, they sound obvious <laughs> to most of us when we hear them. Uh, but then he starts going even deeper into, so what do each of these mean? Which is really nice as well. So I like that when you're just, not just uh, dropping uh, these adjective, adjectives, but also actually getting into what do they mean in this specific context. Yeah, he does actually, yeah, like you say, he goes through each of these um, aspects plus some more. And what I liked about this is that almost they they illustrated it with experience, their own experience over many years um, at Wix doing work with these design, uh, these buttons, the design of these buttons, um, presumably as part of their work with their design system. Mm. Um, but but that does give it a um, a feeling of, so it anchors it in a bit of author- authority, I guess, is, a, yeah. is what I'm saying there. That's, um, you, can, you can see what they've done and he's open about some things that didn't work and some things that do work. And um, that's nice to see. I like that, yeah. Uh, the next sentence after those uh, principles is that a button must clearly communicate what it does with zero space for interpretation. I may have a tiny bit of objection to that because there's always interpretation going on uh, as a person is trying to understand the purpose uh, of a button, which is the whole challenge that he actually is communicating through the article. Uh, And we start with this discrepancy with uh, uh, talking about icons, which help identify context maybe. And there are several case studies throughout the article explaining why icons lose out to text each and every time. When you say icons per, you mean um, a button that solely has yes, an icon. exactly. That one, yeah. is, is lacking text of any kind. Yeah. So icon only buttons, uh, and and uh, I, we love to play around with these, and especially when we go mobile first, we realize well we don't have much space. So we're going to go with the the icon only, and people will hopefully get that. And it usually is quite hopefully because as soon as you add a text, which seems so obvious when you do it, that if you actually have the label there, then people understand it. It's funny how 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 a lot of designers have such a hard time grasping this simple con- concept. And also, Par, I mean, yeah. we, we, you know, you've, we've all been in meetings where or design situations where you get fight back and say, yeah. "Well, everyone knows what that means." Hmm. So you 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 get you get told you don't need the text because hmm. everyone knows what that means. Exactly. And you know that's one nice when you kind of see results from testing, hmm. uh, which again we've seen that people do find it easier when you have text with these buttons. Yeah. I don't mean to say that there aren't situations of expert users um, who use interfaces incre- you know, uh, very exactly. regularly. Extremely that, experienced mm, users who use it every day, every hour. Uh, yeah, muscle yeah. memory plays a part mm. and so on. Um, mm. So so again, there's, there's, there's leeway mm. here to, for situations where it can work. One of those and, people uh, tell me all the time that... Uh, when I question it and tell this story is this button for a camera in most video meetings today uh, where I have this story uh, a person told me where the, the, a person's mother mistook the icon for the camera which is like a square with a triangle on the side probably you, you can recognize it if I say it like that and they thought it was a fish so yeah pressed on the fish yeah. uh, there, there are no icons that are universally accepted <laughs> Yeah, we have an episode about that. Yes. Where I even I even talk about my mum's um, my mum's flower that we have to we have to click on when I needed to uh, adjust the settings of something. 
Oh, the gear icon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Anyway, that's recommended listening coming yes. early. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we talk about the findable. We talk about making a button clear. Uh, and then we get into the to uh, the text as the primary element, explaining the button's intention. Uh, clear, predictable, simple. Starting with a verb, if you want to encourage action. So it gets into these tiny details and micro interactions and how to help the button actually explain what it does. But, uh, now, with this though, mm. you're talking about the situation where you move from having like um, okay cancel mm. to having to replacing the okay with with something more explanatory of, of what is actually going to happen when you click OK. Yes. Yeah, and I think the example in the article is, I think they have um, uh, moved to trash or whatever. So instead of, instead of saying OK, so the question is, do you want to move this website to the bin? Um, and instead of having yes or OK as the primary button there, mm. it actually says move to trash, mm. yeah, move to bin. Mm. So you, you're, you're reaffirming through the language of the button you know, you're connecting it to the title, connecting it to the actual action, much much stronger by having the explanatory text. Exactly, and the, and the example he has higher up is actually the difference between having buttons like premium or upgrade to premium, full list, or view all invoices or notifications and turn on notifications, where the word combined with the verb actually encourages people to take the action uh, a lot more clearly. Again, you're adding more words, which a lot of people seem to have a hard time with. Uh, well, we have a hard time with it, I mean, I, I, it's that's one of those things. Oh, I, I still, I'm still not really completely confident about the best solution for long text on buttons, because you know we have all these grid designs and these kind of design components, standard size components. Buttons that have to be in like 100% of the screen, yeah. one line of text, mm. or you know, a third of the screen, or you know, then you start to have multiple languages for your interface, and suddenly. And like move move to trash ends up being you know three times as long in in other languages and yes. it, it breaks your button exactly. you end up with dot 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 at the end of the text mm. it, it's 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 extremely that's difficult pro- so, that's a problem space that he yes, doesn't actually I would love I, lo- I would love someone talking about making the perfect button and having an example in every language across the world <laughs> Yeah. There are well, 7, how we, how we calm things? Yeah, how we just how we just calm things down with all the, you know, too long text. What is too, how do you deal with too long text on buttons? Yeah. It's very rare that I see. Speaking of uh, responsive design, that you actually uh, have uh, full text on buttons or more text on buttons when you have a larger screen and small and less text on a button when you have a small. I've, I've heard people talk about that, but I've I've yet to see think of an example actually where I see that mm. going on. Often you can see people, uh, some versions going to icon only on smaller interfaces and then adding the text yep. on bigger interfaces. That's the more common. Yeah. And you've also got the, the, the um, uh, idea when you, you have slightly more explanatory text under the button. I've seen that too. Yeah. Like, you know, the move to bin or move to trash thing, underneath it might say, don't worry, you can undo this later. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. And the hierarchy is the next uh, topical area, which sort of mixes into and overlaps with the next one as well, emphasis. I think I, I reacted to this as I, was, as I was reading it, and I think you did as well. Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, because it wasn't clear to me what the obvious difference was to hierarchy and emphasis. Because usually when I talk about these things, I talk about primary buttons, secondary buttons, and those should be designed differently to indicate this is the one that most people usually click or the, problem, the, the button you're more likely to want to click in this situation. Uh, 
I, I actually think there, though, in some ways, I think, because you know, in the article, it, under hi- it has hierarchy, mm. but then um, it has placement and emphasis as two bits after that. And I wonder if we, we, we probably should have interpreted placement and emphasis as aspects of hierarchy. But they're different sizes, those headings. This is interesting. So speaking yeah, of hierarchy, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the title, <laughs> the heading for hierarchy is the same size as the heading size for emphasis. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, the same, it's the same visual size. Uh, I love how yeah. this became a meta discussion about hierarchy. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and interestingly, I mean, oh God, now we are geeking out. So, so hierarchy is actually a H one, and and placement is H yeah. two, and emphasis is H one. Yeah, exactly. No, so so emphasis is the same level as hierarchy, and placement is. Now we are geeking out, mm. but the oh, but the headings, the, the headings are a bit kind of messed up here. Well, that's probably Medium's fault. <laughs> but when we are speaking of hierarchy, it makes sense to me to also include this this idea, or what I actually alluded to that I wanted to object to in the beginning was that there are some things I'm seeing here that aren't buttons to me, but are actually drop-down menus. Because there's an arrow oh, pointing down from the button, and it opens other stuff that you, you can click. Yeah, so mm. so yeah, so yeah, you've got the, the examples where it's a, the button is actually a drop-down, yeah. and then you've also got the, the split button example where it's a button with another button squished up against it that actually is a drop-down. Yeah. Or, or button with list, I guess. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Hmm. So uh, that may, that brings home the point. It's it's someone. Sometimes we maybe have to distinguish more about what is a link, and what are the different uh, outcomes of a clicking a button. Does it open something else? That it does it change something on a page? Does it bring you to another another page? Another uh, page on the site? Uh, does it just do something behind the scenes and give you a status message? So that's hard to actually communicate through the button itself. But this is a really, really good point, mm. though, because this is this is one of those fundamental things that we do mm. go back to an awful lot, that yeah. and, and ties in lovely to accessibility. That you know we've we've ended up with a lot of situations nowadays where we visually have things as buttons. Um, yeah. You know, especially in the world of call to actions and primary primary buttons and and getting people to convert by clicking on things like create an account and so on, buy now. Um, but when it boils down to it, a lot of these buttons are actually links. So they, the, 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 the general rule when it comes to this is um, links are for navigating. So links take you to another yeah. URL, mm. another link on the web. Um, another play. It might be on the same page, actually, as an anchor link, but you, know, you navigate somewhere right. with, with, with a link. And accessibility-wise, they should always be links. So, well, um, now we're going to the coding wise of things. And but, you know, this is why designing and coding overlap an awful lot. Because buttons, on the other hand, um, are things that execute functions. Yeah. You know, something happens, but you stay on the page, mm. generally. Unless you're submitting a form, because then you are actually going to another page. But you're performing an action, and the, the uh, message that you get based on that should actually tell you that the action was successful. Well, you see, traditionally, you maybe you would go into a different page. I mean, now with the way right. that forms are built, yeah. I don't think that's the case. I mean, you still, mm. the, the rule holds pair that a button is something that executes a function, executes an action. Um, and, you know, we, we might sound like we're being, like, stubborn about this because, um, like, design is design and code is code. But you know, when it comes to screen readers, mm. 
if you have a, a button that's a link or a link that's a button, they come in two different places in the in your screen reader software, for example. You know, and you can't. It's not easy to find stuff. Suddenly, things that you're looking for to navigate are hidden away in the list for buttons that you think is for actions for yeah. functions. So it can be a real real blocker. And that was my point also about the drop downs. If you're not using the standard drop down functionality in the code for for displaying that drop down, it's going to be harder to navigate for someone with a screen reader. Mm. So so our so backing up there away from the code a little bit, our responsibility to designers is to think about you know how how far we push the boundary of designing of designing the appearance of a link to be a button mm. and whether we should distinguish uh, in some way between link buttons and buttons yeah. so functional buttons because I think we're quite bad at that I think so as well yeah uh, so I, I'm as I've been like browsing as you're as you've been speaking, I'm sort of agreeing with you now that the emphasis heading should probably be in H2 because the, the way I'm reading it now, it is actually a subheading of, of hierarchy because it makes sense with the style and the size that comes after it. Also talking about hierarchy, the size mm -hmm. of the button, the smaller it is, the harder it's, it's defined. It also indicates hierarchy, of course. That's really nice though that we, you've managed to link um, headings. And buttons, because visually, design-wise, they are, they do, you know, yeah, there's a lot of exactly. qualities to them that um, are similar. So much overlap. <laughs> mm. uh, so creating harmony on the page so it's easy for the user to read and understand. That's our sort of goal with, of course, hierarchy. Um, so excellent summary of each section as well that he's, uh, uh, he's doing in this article. So, I mean, it's it's an excellent reference article for when the next time you're, you're designing a button, I think. Lots of good, uh, good advice. Uh, lots of things to, I mean, to reason around, to reason around with your team. Probably that would be a fun exercise. Talk about these things. Talk about how you reason around the buttons, and uh, reflect on how you can perhaps make them even more perfect. And a stimulating article. I mean, yes. me and you, we've just we've talked now what probably quite an hour now um, on on yes. when we're recording. <laughs> we've talked a fair bit beforehand as well, and you know we're getting into discussions about accessibility, usability, um, design systems, buttons versus links, split buttons, drop downs. We even had a chat which we're not going to go into now um, about success buttons. Yeah. Um, you know, content micro. Mm. Now you said about micro copy and you know content design. This is this is a wonderful treasure trove of inspirational material. And I think this is what design teams should be doing more often. I don't think they're doing it enough. Send it out to the team, read this article, and then let's spend just half an hour talking about it together and see what our takeaways Excellent. are. Great, I like that. Or they could send out our podcast, listen to that for a quarter of an hour, <laughs> and then discuss that too. It's just <laughs> levels upon levels. <laughs> Turtles upon turtles. Turtles upon turtles? I don't know. I don't, that turtles all the way down. Out. Turtles all the way down. I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to no, link. Normally it's me. Normally it's me <laughs> that loses you with those kind of weird references. <laughs> so now we're moving on to can a website sitemap create better UX? And as I said in the intro, this is um, an article that um, is written um, by Kelly um, Bruland, um, originally published in April on the Loop 11 website. Um, Loop 11, are, we had them as a sponsor back in the day, Pair, I believe. Yeah, many, um, many years and ago. Yeah, um, make it testing software. Um, and, well, to give a bit of backstory. Yes, um, I think. This, this article, I did notice it pretty soon after it came out, I think back in April. And 
uh, my first reaction to it was a bit kind of, oh, God, some of these things I don't quite agree with. Uh, well, these things that are not, you know, not historically correct, doesn't sound, sounds a bit of a weird angle on things. I don't, I don't know. But I just kind of, I let it go. I thought, you know, James, you just make too much of a fuss. Then it popped up again a little bit later, a few, you know, a month or two later. I, I, I saw it, and I think I saw it even a third time. And it was, you know, appeared in one of those mm, you know, newsletters you get with summaries of articles from, you know, different places. And I read it again, and this time it was on Medium, not Loop 11 website. And it was at that point when I, I, I got even more frustrated about it, because the penny dropped that it was content marketing. Mm. And I kind of realized that the, the the feeling, what I picked up on, I think, on my first reads of it, was that it, it wasn't maybe quite as, as, as deep and as genuine, maybe, as it, it looked like on the surface. Um, and that its true purpose perhaps wasn't educating me about these concepts. It was actually to market something else. Mm. And, you know, in our industry... There's a lot of us. I mean, me and you, Per, we've we've written articles for a long, long time, and then the podcast too. So we've we've got a history, a tradition of of writing content because we want to share knowledge through that right. uh, you, medium. You want to learn. You want to explore explore a topic, get deep into it. It's it's often a way of, for yourself also to learn something new as you're writing because you're really intrigued by the subjects. You want you want to really get sure, make sure you get it correct. Yeah, and 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 some of the one of the issues I have with, with content marketing is that, yeah, I know content marketers now will probably, some of them will say, well, no, no, the best, con- the good content marketing is exactly the same as what you and Per are talking about. But the problem is there's an, there's an awful lot of content marketing that's, that you know, hasn't managed to get away, away from the fact that they are marketing something. Mm. And it's marketing that something that is the essence of what they're doing, the reason why they're doing the content. Mm. And and that sometimes shines through really brightly. Other times you've kind of it doesn't it's not noticeable. And that's when it is good content marketing, I guess. Yeah. When it's a, it's genuine content, good content. Um, anyway, so now I've, I've I've done quite a lot of intro into my like emotional reaction to this um, article. Um, but anyway, to 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 leap forward a little bit and say what is it about? Well, the the article. As you can see from the title, can a website sitemap build yet um, better UX? And go, it goes straight into um, saying that um, while XML sitemaps are slowly becoming standard for website development, UX sitemaps are relatively new. However, a UX sitemap is essential for UX designers and marketing experts because it allows them to understand users better. So... I mean, you can uh, you can you can tell Perry, and I think you have the same reaction. Just that first sentence kind of you know, puts me off kilt. Th- like that, that, probably that was it. Maps. Yeah, when you sent yeah, when you sent me this article, around. it was like that was my first reaction. How is it calling this new? Maybe because it's a new name. And I also have to stress and, and be 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 careful here because I I don't want to be too critical. Uh, it is a topic that is interesting. Uh, what mm-hmm. we are what we are more perhaps talking about here is our reaction to it and whether or not this type of content has a place does it create value uh and yeah and, and maybe it does because it actually explores a topic that is useful within ux but mm-hmm. it perhaps presents it presents it in a, in a way 
that isn't true to the history of what sitemaps are and what they can accomplish, or even to the information and architecture profession. And so that's perhaps what made us wince a bit, but that could also be because we are old and opinionated. Exactly. Mm. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're a different generation designer. Mm. And, and, yeah, and I've reflected about this article a fair bit because it does have, I mean, there, there are some things that are factually wrong. There's some things that are factually correct. And there, so the underlying usefulness of how, um, you know, especially if you've come from a world where a site, an XML sitemap is the first thing in this um, space that you've come across, mm. then I can see how this article probably would help you understand a bit more about um, other incarnations of similar data, I guess. Right. Um, but but it, it made me start to reflect on not only content marketing, but I also started to reflect on, well, where are we with, with education and with um, knowledge transfer or, or, or you know, how we um, communicate and, 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 well... I mean, there's always going to be a degree of relearning stuff. I mean, that's how generations work. Yeah. Um, you discover something again, and you learn it again. Um, but I kind of wonder how, how good a job we, we do at times of helping people rediscover and, and relearn. Mm. So, so in, in, in this article, the, uh, you know, from the, the lens or the angle that they've come from, is um, you are working with um, probably content marketing or marketing or a website, and you um, know of the XML sitemap. And the XML sitemap, for those of our listeners that don't know, this is um, a structured um, text file um, that is used by search engines to get an idea of all the pages on your website and how they're structured. You might index them. call it a, a table of contents or a site index. It, it's a, there's a link to all the pages on your website. So Yeah. 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 And it's it's yeah, and it's structured in a way which is a bit like it's code, it's XML. It's not um, made for humans though. It's just made and for And it's not made for humans directly. Mm-hmm. Now um that yeah, that is now I mean, I've been nagging for years about it being included a standard on websites, and yeah, more and more websites do have it, especially where in the, they're in the space of, of, of um, e-commerce and um, consumer um, sites. Um, other websites that are um, maybe more informational or public sector, um, they don't always have these still, and it's a still a thing I have to nag about. Mm. But historically, so what's, what's fascinating here is that um, the XML sitemap, that got introduced by Google, in a tw- I think it was 2005 when they first introduced the standard mm. because up to that point we had on websites sitemaps yeah. an actual page for people to visit where it visually showed the, the hierarchy the structure of a website often linked in um, the footer yeah. often linked in the footer yeah. sometimes it used to be in the kind of top menu yeah. as well back in the day we've had different yeah. places it's moved around a bit as it came in and out of favour about how far it, you know how, how complex it were how big mm. your site was and so on um, but Google, um, back in the early days, had already discovered that this was a really good page to look at to get more pages to look at. Mm. So so they were consuming the sitemaps that we were making for humans to improve and build their index. So it was in their interest to create something, a standard, that was more for machines. And that's when they launched the sitemap XML standard. Um, initially in 2005, and then they built it. They, they, they kind of more formalized it in 2006 time, I think. Um, but what's fascinating here is that the sitemaps that we put on websites back in the end of the 90s and like 2000s and so on, those in themselves were um, 
an offspring, I guess, of the site mapping we would do as part of information architecture work and exercises and right. understanding and categorizing the 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 website and forming you know understanding the hierarchy or the the needed the hierarchy that was needed for a website information architecture um so it got these three different flavors i guess of these sitemaps there's mm -hmm. the the one that's a research tool there's the one that is consumed by machines to get an idea of our content mm -hmm. and then there's the um the one that's used um um, as part of our design work. Well, that made me think even more. As, yeah, exactly. As, if it's a research tool, then it can also be a deliverable to a team uh, to help them design something. Uh, so there are many uses for the for the sitemap, actually. I think I first came across a sitemap and learned about them in, in, the, in the Polar Bear book, which uh, people our age will know exactly what book I'm talking about. It's Information Architecture for the World Wide Web uh, by Lou Rosenfeld and Peter Morville, which came out in... February 1998. So even then, writing a book about sitemaps back then meant that sitemaps had been around for a while. So the concept of doing this in this way, as described in this article, has been around for nigh 30 years. Uh, that is perhaps why we react the way we do. But it doesn't take away from the usefulness of the tool, which is a good thing no. to actually talk about. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, there are so many related tools as well. I mean, yes, um, we, the 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 content marketing here is trying to get you to people to to use some of the tools that are that might help you. But we've we've done card sorting over the years as a way of kind of testing mm. structures. Um, you know, you've 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 got various ways of of um, building them. I think didn't you have an example and picture of how Netscape back in the day would create them automatically? That was actually from the from the Polar Bear book. They had this. Exactly they had the this, They had the screenshot from Netscape. That was the biggest browser back then, or at once upon a time, at one period of time during our World Wide Web travels. And they, you actually generated the sitemap automatically from a website. They built that tool inside the browser. Yeah. There's some tips in the article um, about creating an effective UX sitemap. Um, and I, I, said, I, I did do some research too, and, and it does seem like UX sitemap is a phrase that people are using. I had no idea about that. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it was a it was a sitemap, and I, I, I say sitemap and XML sitemap exactly. um, to distinguish between and those that two. Absor that reveals our bias as well, because we yeah. come from that another space or another timeline, even, and people coming from another timeline perhaps are now calling them UX sitemaps. Mm, yeah, and I, 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 oh, after I've read these these tips about things, it actually reminded me of. I mean, I've still got a pile of of web pages from almost twenty years ago that I printed out at a job I had back then, and I still haven't got round to. In fact, I'm now I'm I'm deliberately keeping hold of them because mm. I don't print out web pages mm. anymore. But twenty years ago, I did. So I have a folder mm. full of things about um, information architecture, taxonomy, um, oh, site maps, and mm. stuff. And and I was skimming through them when looking at these tips to see. How good they are, and and to be honest, I, you know, the, I I can see the the you know the good old aspects of information architecture shining through in these in these tips. So it, it's it's not without value in that sense. Yeah. But even then, so as as you were saying, you were using the word taxonomy, and of course that's that's the whole thing, and then the reasoning behind this of, of categorizing and labeling everything that information architects are so good at that takes a special kind of skill, and I think acknowledging that skill set. Is also important. It's not. It's not really anything. Something that anyone can jump into without also having sort of the background about understanding why do we do taxonomy. 
Yeah. So, so again, back to you know this article, maybe scraping the surface and hinting mm. at deeper knowledge. Mm. And, I, and I don't know whether the article itself understands the deeper knowledge, it, uh, so we've got then a gap in education, mm. um, or whether it deliberately avoids the deeper knowledge because um, it's, it's aimed at a certain audience that doesn't need it. Yeah. But anyway, this, these, these five tips, um, and if anyone's out there studied information architecture, they probably can give some feedback about how good this list is as well. Um, one of the tips, the key steps, one, start with good preparation um that you need a good plan and you need to determine um what users want and what you want to achieve with the website it's your goals part of things mm. um, number two create a site map navigation um create a draft uh, of your site navigation um which for me that makes sense because you would like we said information architecture part of information architecture is site navigation site map is something else too um List parent and child pages, which is actually pretty difficult to avoid when you're doing a site map. Exactly, yes. <laughs> um, and test a few scenarios. Mm. Um, so then you would, uh, and this uh, this actually is what I mentioned with card sorting or kind mm. of, um, um, you would, or you can use testing tools to find whether you can, you can follow labels to find the right destination. Um, Mm. That you would you would test navigation structures by giving someone a task and then saying, "Oh, click your way through to find the right place." Um, and sometimes I actually i i did the i did a site map and I took all the cards for the for the pages and put them just in a random pile, and I could see if different teams uh, or groups of people that I brought into workshops, what what site map would they come up with using those oh, cards? Nice. That was the card sorting exercise, and that was excellent. Because uh, that, that, yeah, that's mm, wonderful because that mm, reveals. Mm. Um, different ways of grouping mm. similar objects. Yeah. Oh, lovely uh, IA exercise. Um, and the fifth um, tip here was share the sitemap with your team. So that you mentioned it's about deliverables. Um, mm. So this point, this, this tip here is basically using it as a deliverable. Right. Um, so so I, I, I hope you get what I mean about saying that these five points, for me, they kind of, they hint at deeper knowledge. Um, and they're kind of skimming the surface of a whole world of information architecture out there. Um, and and I'm, I'm hoping that we can oh, lift that bar a little bit and get a bit more knowledge around these areas and topics. Yeah, definitely. And, and not just say that UX sitemaps are new and sitemap XMLs have been around for ages. Because then I worry for information architecture. Yeah, but it's, it's also something that we've talked a bit about on the show, I think more recently as well in, in the last year, about how information architecture is sort of this forgotten part of UX, uh, mm. almost that we pushed it aside with UX and information architecture, people calling them information architects, at least in Sweden, as, it's not very common uh, anymore. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this, mm. the, the whole relabeling mm. and, and new labels for things and, and UX has eaten up so many other labels. Mm. But but that doesn't change the underlying knowledge. In some ways, exactly. I don't care if you call it a UX sitemap or a sitemap. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I can I can maybe sound like an old man if I'm complaining that um, about him saying a, a UX sitemap is new concept. Um, or that a UX sitemap is sometimes called information architecture. That yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean that that I can I can accept mm. that that's 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 my personal reaction mm. from my context and my history of where I've been and where I've come from, um, but um, oh, and it might be correct for them, but I'd still right. like us to be able to, um, in a in an open and constructive way, um, pick up these things and and go you know bring them forward, 
which I'm hoping we've managed to do that now without being overly critical. Because I'm again, sure. I mean, there's there's a reason we talked about it because actually, uh, it's not a tool I've been using a lot, and I haven't reflected on why I've why I've abandoned it in the last few years. Uh, it's, I've gone more and more towards. Of course, I've become more senior. I don't work hands on in that way anymore. But I don't see any of my team doing it, and I don't teach people how to do it anymore. So it's sort of mm. it's been down for for some years, and it's getting picked up again. So it was interesting to see it being picked up and talked about in this way. Definitely. And just like actually both of these articles today, um, they've they've both generated um, a lot of discussion between me and you yeah. and and a, a fair bit of Googling, research, checking, reminiscing, mm. thinking back, connecting different concepts, going back to concepts. Um, so I'm uh, you know, criticism aside and, you know, middle aged old men aside, these are really two very stimulating articles today. Yes. Today, we also want to play a bonus clip for you. We reached out to information architecture educator and author Donna Spencer to briefly help us out in understanding how sitemaps fit into our work. Donna Spencer has practiced information architecture at the highest levels for more than two decades. She has taught innumerable workshops and courses and, of course, wrote one of the highest regarded books on the subject, A Practical Guide to Information Architecture. This is what Donna had to say about sitemaps as a tool. Hello, I'm Donna Spencer uh, and I'm a UX designer, information architect, product designer, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, who has been doing this kind of work for um, a very long time. Uh, Perrin James uh, asked me to take a look at an article about um, UX sitemaps uh, and talk a little bit about them. So first, this article like literally starts off with UX sitemaps are new. UX sitemaps really, 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 really aren't new. Um, we've been doing sitemaps. Like I reckon I probably did my first sitemap in 1998. And even then, it wasn't a new technique. So let's talk about what a sitemap is. Um, we actually don't usually call them UX sitemaps. Um, they were always just called sitemaps. Um, but a sitemap uh, is something that you would create, usually for a fairly simple site. Like this doesn't work for, you know, an enormous um, uh, catalogue or, you know, a, mu a museum site for a full collection. It usually uh, works mostly for um, relatively small content-based uh, websites. And a sitemap is a really simple diagram that shows uh, what content will be included in the site and the relationships between content items. Um, sitemaps are usually fairly hierarchical. We've usually got a home page, some um, top-level um, pages, and some, some to many um, hierarchical pages underneath that. And sometimes we might do, do things like, you know, show some cross-references between key pages, but we're not trying to show every link between things. So we're trying to show the, 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 the main structure. Um, look, this is a super simple uh, a diagram. It's, it's, it doesn't need to be fancy. It's not hard to create as a diagram. The, the hard thing, of course, is to um, figure out how to um, 
how to structure the content, what things go together in what bundles. Um, sometimes it's hard to figure out what to label them so that they're um, both representative of the content and uh, help people find content, content that they need. That's actually the hard bit. Drawing it out as a diagram um, is, a, is, a pretty, is pretty straightforward. They're not always really well understood by our stakeholders. They often need some um, explanation because people are used to seeing like screens and navigation, uh, looking at an abstract diagram, you know, sometimes just needs a bit of, uh, a bit of uh, explanation as to like what, how this relates to uh, a thing that you're going to, to build. Um, and they're usually done, like usually done early on in a, in a design process um, while you're working through the thinking stage, mostly, you know, as you actually work through a production stage of a process, um, things change and you don't necessarily have to go back and update the site. It's usually just a, uh, a you know, a thinking tool at the beginning and often to, you know, to show to your stakeholders um, where you're thinking about what content exists and how to organise it. Thank you so much for helping us out, Donna. I, for one, am excited to hear about how some of our listeners use or will be using sitemaps going forward. And for some more stimulating content, I think uh, James has selected, as per usual, uh, a show that we recommend listening next to. Well, you just can't get enough of Donna Spencer. Yeah. So um, I'm going to recommend, um, even though we've repeated it reasonably re recently, um, if you haven't yet listened to it, or you listen to this later on, then episode 286, Reintroduction to Information Architecture with Donna Spencer, is, uh, as we say in Swedish, solklot, choice um, of what to listen to. Crystal clear choice. <laughs> A sunny clear choice. Yeah, crystal clear, I think you'd say. As always, the links to these articles can, of course, be found in our show notes on uxpodcast.com. One of our teams of volunteers is one that listens to episodes ahead of publishing, and notes down relevant links that come up during the show. And this team could really do with some extra people. So if you'd like to help out, email hey at uxpodcast.com or Swedish hey or English hey, H-E-J or H-E-Y. <laughs> See, the combination is making stuff easy, difficult in the same time. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. points north i don't know james what's big white furry and always points north <laughs> a polar bearing <sighs> <laughs> nice thank you <laughs>